Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Bring them on stage. So, so we got in the car. I picked them up at Stanford, Connecticut, the train station. And I said there was going to be many things they were going to eat. Mm-hmm. But let's see if he remembers. What were the first two things I told you you would eat? Wings. Wings, bagels. okay. Bagels. Oh, that special ham. The Taylor ham? Taylor ham. Right? <laughs> Taylor ham. That special ham from heaven. <laughs> What's the other thing? Uh, pizza. Pizza. Boom. There's other things, too. I told you a lot. So, cool. Good job. Sit down. Thank you. <laughs> I love Dom. I love watching, like, this new world that my, what, what, what my son is creating at school. So we told Dom, I said, there's certain things you're going to eat. Wings, Mawa Bar and Grill, Friday night. Like, it was awesome. But I said, there's two things that define New Jersey. What are the two foods that define New Jersey? Bagels and Pizza. Oh, anyone getting hungry? No, seriously, anyone hungry? I'm starving and I am thirsty right now. May I have my water, please? Thank you. But in that, there's something unique that makes our pizza and our bagels so unique. Yes, it's the water. Jersey water that we are not allowed to drink, but yet we put it in our food. How messed up is that? Isn't that, like literally, like you get these like signs from like your town saying, don't drink the water, but you can cook with it. And so you have that, but then it's also the most important aspect. So for me, some of you know that I was a chef for a little bit. I was a baker. I love to bake. Yes, I don't know if I fit the baker profile, but that's what I did. And what we used to do is we used to make 52 loaves of bread on a Saturday afternoon. It took two and a half hours, and I would have a a few college kids working with me, probably three, no more than four, because it took too much room with the bakery. And I had two and a half hours with these college kids that I just got to pour life into. I mean, I just got to breathe all over them everything that God was doing in my life. And for me, I hope I'm contagious. I hope that the only thing that I talk about are those things that I value most, which is Jesus my Heidi, Sue, and my kids. And I would just share with them all these different things. But here's what made the dough so unique. It was the yeast. Now, do you know yeast is a fungus? Do you know that? So every time you eat a bagel, and every time you eat cinnamon rolls, and every time you eat bread, and every time you eat pizza, you are putting fungi into your system. Sound good? Or am I ruining it? Some of you said, yeah, of course. Fungus is really good, right? Mushrooms are fungus. But but what happens is there's something very unique about yeast. It's what makes the bread rise. It's what makes the bagels the bagels. So you're thinking, we're studying the gospel of Mark. What does yeast, what does bagels, and what does pizza have anything to do with Jesus? Here's what we're going to talk about. We are talking about the things in our life that have the ability to derail the work of God in our hearts. That's what we're going to talk about. Because there are some things that if we do not deal with, will grow just like yeast does in a batch of pizza or a batch of donuts. And my role as your pastor is to attack the things that have the power to derail your faith. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you for just a solid, solid morning. I ask you for a word of encouragement. I ask you for a word of enlightenment. I ask you for for an epiphany, for a kairos moment that people literally say, I needed that today. So Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 8. Otherwise, would you read with me verse 14 through 21? But as the disciples had forgotten to bring any food, they had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out. 
Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Have you as, have eyes? Can't you see? Have you have ears? Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. Chapter 8 is a pivotal chapter in the Gospel of Mark. And whenever you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there's always that one chapter that just kind of shifts everything that leads to the crucifixion. And it's really right towards the end of the ministry. When you pick up Mark chapter 8, there's probably only several months left in Jesus' earthly ministry. And when you look at this, here's what's happening. Jesus had just performed a massive miracle. He fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and five small fish. Now, I'm going to get a little geeky with you right now. Oftentimes when we think about the fish that Jesus multiplied, it, it talks about large fish or, or average-sized fish. And so you watch these Jesus movies, and, and they're big fish, big fish. And then they talk about small fish. Matter of fact, these small fish in Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 8, were more than likely sardines. How crazy is that? Someone brought five sardines to Jesus, seven loaves of bread, and he multiplied the two. How many sardines did Jesus make to feed everybody? And when we think about sardines, we think about a delicacy, right? We always think like God gives us his worst. And here we see that Jesus is giving the people his best. And so he's multiplying the, the, the fish. He's multiplying the loaves. And out of no year, nowhere, once again, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the zealots, the scribes, the teachers of the law, all these people came out to attack Jesus. And what they had said to Jesus is, give us a miraculous sign. This was literally right after feeding the four and in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, you could see that some of the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and, and scholars were, were really wanting to know the truth that Jesus was, was presenting. But there came a pivotal point that they were unaware to see who Jesus was, to hear who he was proclaiming in his identity. And to believe in their hearts that Jesus is the Messiah. He was Yeshua, the one that they were waiting for. And they already predetermined in their hearts that he was not their Messiah. And Jesus even asked them, in chapter 8, verse 12, how many miraculous signs do you need? How many? Has anyone ever asked you, I just need God to give me a sign? And you're like, here's one. No, 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 I, I need another sign. No, here, here's two. No, I need another sign. Well, here's like the last 30 that he's been trying to get your attention with. Do I get an amen? amen. Right? Think about that. That, that God is always at work around us all the time, every day, anywhere. And it's not just these big divine moments. It's in the little things, the medium-sized things, and also the big things. And so the disciples and Jesus, they get in the boat after this, this disagreement, this argument, this confrontation that, that Jesus has with the religious leaders, and they push off to go to the other side of the lake. 
And Jesus has a conversation with himself out loud. Anyone ever do that? Right? Right? Anyone, whenever you want to prove a point at work or at home or with someone very careful, someone you care about in your life, you usually have a, have a personal conversation out loud. I do this when the chores don't get done. I do this one every single day, not that I just said that out loud, that the garbage is brewing over. I'm like, wow, it'd be great if someone took out the garbage. I guess that's going to be me. And I have these out loud conversations hoping someone could get it. Matter of fact, I'm totally throwing my kids under the bus. <laughs> She's shaking her head. For three days, we had the recycle sitting on the table. Now, if you know the Parkers, recycle doesn't sit on the table for three days. And I told Sue, don't touch it. Let's see what happens. And I said it out loud so it would reverberate through the house. And it still stayed there until I moved it. And so Jesus is having this, this out loud conversation with himself so that others could hear. And he says this, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, we'll get to the Pharisees and Herod in a moment, but, but he uses two key phrases. Watch out. Be vigilant. Be alert. Beware. Be cautious. Be alert to the danger that may happen. It's like when your kids start walking to school. and You say, watch out. When you cross the road, look both ways. Because if you don't watch out and you don't look both ways, you could get hurt, right? Watch out. If there's not a lifeguard at the beach, don't swim. Why? Because you may drown. What about beware? When you see a sign that says beware of dog, what is that telling you? That there's a very unfriendly animal on the other side that wants to rip your face off. Do you know that? You look like a big milk bone that the dog wants to eat on the spot. And so, even when you see that sign, you kind of want to go on the other side of the street just in case that dog gets out. Right? So Jesus, he's saying, watch out. Beware. There's something about those individuals that is dangerous to your soul. Something that's poisonous. Something that's, that's deadly. And he just calls it out. He says, beware of the, of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Usually when Jesus is reprimanding individuals, it's usually just the Pharisees. It's usually the, the Sadducees. It's usually the scribes or religious teachers because he knew their hearts. And when he knew their hearts were good and pure, he applauded them. But for the vast majority of time, they knew, he knew their hearts that they were filled with pride, anger, arrogance, deceit. So let's come back to the gospel of the bagel. The gospel of the bagel. Yeast. Yeast is so important. Yeast is what makes bagels bagels. Yeast is what makes pizza pizza. Yeast is what makes cinnamon bonds cinnamon bonds. It's that, that ingredient that makes that which they are baking multiply. Again, what we would do is we would take two and a half hours. We'd make 52 loaves of bread. We would put the, dough, the, 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 the flour in. we put the sugar in, the salt in, all the ingredients. And then we would take water. And we had to get the water to the perfect temperature, 140 degrees. If it was over 140 degrees, the yeast would die. If it was under 140 degrees, the yeast wouldn't activate. 
But if you were able to just hit that sweet spot, you would put it in a cup, you'd set it on the side, a measuring cup, and you would wait until it activated and it started to rise. You would dump it into all the ingredients. You would give it a stir at the right temperature for the right amount of time. You never wanted to overturn the dough too much or you lost the fluffiness. You would take it out. You would put it on the table. It would be like this big and it would expand to like this big. Following me? Like, that's way too much baking for a Sunday morning. And it would expand. And when you look at that, you're thinking, yeah, yeast is supposed to be good. Cinnamon rolls, bagels, pizza. It allows us to eat more than probably we should, right? Unleavened bread really isn't that good. Do I get an amen? Right? Like crackers. When do you eat crackers? When you're sick, right? How many people really munch on crackers all day long? If you do, there's something going on in your soul, right? We want bread. We want fluffy. We want to fill this right here, right now for the next three hours. And so, but here's what's interesting about yeast. Whenever scripture talks about yeast, 90% of the time, whether it's Jesus or whether it's Paul in the epistles, yeast is used in the negative, not in the positive. It's not in the positive. There are some fungi that we enjoy to eat, mushrooms. There are other fungi that if we eat them, you will die. They are poisonous. They're not healthy for you. And so when Jesus is talking about the yeast, there's something about these individuals that is toxic. And he's very, very deliberate when he talks about both the Pharisees and Herod. He just didn't call out the religious leaders. He actually called out both the religious leaders and the political figure that was overseeing the territory that Jesus was living in. And so you think about the Pharisees. They waited for the Messiah. They waited for him to be a reality. They waited for him to be present. And yet, they allowed their hardened hearts to see who Jesus actually is. Every miracle Jesus performed was written about in the Old Testament. All of the teachings that Jesus fulfilled were written about and told were going to happen. But what had happened was he wasn't the Jesus they wanted. God was silent for over 400 years. And they were so used to God being silent that it was probably overwhelming that Jesus is saying that I am God incarnate. I am here. Listen to my teachings. Watch my acts. See my compassion. See my love. But their hearts were hardened. Because they expected everything to be who Jesus was being only for them and only for them alone. And they allowed their hearts to be filled with pride, anger, resentment, and bitterness. You're not the Yeshua we like. You love the wrong people. You hang out with those we would never spend time with. You don't appreciate us the way that we want to be appreciated. And so we live in this world that we literally act like Pharisees. The church acts like Pharisees. The church acts like, like Sadducees and Zealots. We act overly religious with such a lack of compassion for the broken world around us. Whenever God does something big, we question it. Seriously. There was this revival that happened amongst college kids about three weeks ago. And to see the skepticism that the church was throwing at what was happening with a group of young people was sin. That was the sin. 
judging them, expecting God to do things their way. And you see, that's what we do. When God doesn't do things our way or how he fits into our theological box, what we do is we become angry, resentful, bitter. We actually say, well, well, God hasn't done that for me. He's done that for you. So if he's only doing it for you and he's not doing it for me, then it's not true. And that's what the Pharisees said. Everything you're doing That's not our reality. So it must be wrong. And how often we do that. How often we play the role of the Pharisee. How often we play the role of the Sadducee. How often we expect God to show up only in his way and in his timing that we are the beneficiaries of. And then he talks about Herod. And I love how he adds Herod. Because Herod had beef with Jesus. Herod had a problem with Jesus. Remember Herod's wife? What did Herod's wife want Herod to do to John the Baptist? Cut off his head. Remember that? Remember that that, that John was speaking too much to Herod's wife's heart. And John was calling her out. And he wasn't calling her out to call her out just to call her out. He was saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is amongst us. And really what John was doing was he was forewarning Herod and his wife saying like, guys, don't miss it. So why would you say that? He was a political leader. Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, who did Jesus come for first? The Jews, then the Gentiles. Herod was half Jewish. Anyone know that? Herod was half Jewish. His mother was a devout practicing Jewish woman. His father was not. His father was a ruthless individual. And it's actually said in history that if you went into Herod's home and to Herod's temple and to Herod's castle and you would walk around, you would actually see stories of the Old Testament drawn on the walls. And so Herod's mother would literally have artists come into the house and draw biblical narratives throughout the house. You might see a picture of creation. You might see a picture of Moses standing before the Red Seas and a drawing of the seas parted. I mean, this is history. This is historical facts. You might see another one of a man sitting in a lion's den with with three lions and a man sitting on the rock, Daniel and the lions. And so even as a young boy, Herod would walk around his house and he would be told the narratives of God. But yet he allowed his power, his need to be the one who was worshipped. Control, manipulation, ego. Do you know the biggest enemy to humanity is? Ego. Ego is the enemy. He allowed his ego to stand in the way, even when he asked about Jesus, because he asked about Jesus. He never allowed himself to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive. And right now, there is this movement of God brewing in our country. Amen? Amen. And right now, there are two schools of thought that are trying to steal the work of God in our lives. And I will say this, it is the church. Do you know that? And I'm a pastor. There are many churches that are trying to steal the work of God, of what God is trying to do throughout not only this nation, but throughout this world. Our churches, are we allowing our ignorance, our pride, God not not doing things the way that we expect him to, to cause us to live in a place of disbelief? Or what about the political powers? To say that the political powers are are either Christian or non-Christian. I'm sorry, neither of them are Christian. Seriously. Just because you may be one party or the other doesn't make you more Christian. And it doesn't make you less Christian. But we live in a political world 
that is trying to cross-pollinate faith and politics in such a dangerous way that we are the most individualistic, consumeristic people in the world. And I'll give you this. It's not your fault. It's what we grew up in. It began in the Enlightenment era. era. In the Enlightenment era, when it was all about self, when it was all about greed, when it was all about ego. And we, be- we believe this lie that, that in some ways Jesus isn't king. Jesus is like a good prime minister. He's a good senator. He's a good state representative. And Herod, in no way, was going to bend his knees to the king of kings. And so when you look at these two parties, you see that their pride and their arrogance allowed for disbelief to creep in and poison them. And in poisoning them, you know what they had done? They had poisoned other individuals. How true is it that other individuals poison us as well? So let's see what Jesus says. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? Think about that. You see, here's the situation. They just got done seeing a miracle. And the miracle involved feeding people who were hungry. And all the disciples were doing was getting from one side of a lake to another. A several hour journey. And the first thing that they were concerned about was them. And the first thing they were concerned about is, am I going to starve to death before I cross this lake? Do I have enough food for myself? Do I have enough provisions to take care of me? And Jesus says, time out. Time out. Didn't you just see how I provided for everybody, including you? Time out. Haven't you been hearing all of my teachings? That all of my teachings are setting people free from the lies that have kept them in bondage. The reason people are in emotional bondage is because the lies they believe about themselves that are not true, that what God wants to speak over you. God wants to speak truth over you. He wants to speak truth over your identity as sons and daughters of God. And when we do not believe the truths that are spoken over us, we believe the lies that the world pours on us in such a way that put us in a place of spiritual bondage. The one thing we talk about from beginning to end at the plant church has been our identity in Christ. Who has God called you to be? As a man, a man of God, a woman, a woman of God. Because when we understand our identity of who we are as sons and daughters, we are set free to live in the fullness of who God has made us. He's like, haven't you heard? Haven't you seen the miraculous? And here's the tension that we all live in. The tension that we live in, and this is my thought as I was studying. When we separate our lives into two different spheres, spiritual life and everyday life, there is a danger that creeps in that blinds us, deafens us, and hardens us to the things that Jesus is doing in the present. So what do I mean by that? Your church world is different than your present day world. You come to church on Sunday and you get hope and excitement and joy. 
But then you step into your everyday life and something steals that hope and that joy from you. And so you live what I would call a one-seventh life. For one day out of the seven days, you live a really good life. But then the other six are just like disjointed and they're messed up. And by the time you get to Saturday, you're like, do I even want to go to church to restart that clock again? You see, here's what happened. Multiple times, the disciples would be with Jesus. And Jesus would be doing like these crazy miracles. I mean, it was like going to church. Jesus was like on show. He was doing these things. He was on the platform. Meanwhile, they were happening in everyday life. Villages, towns, by the lake, on boats, on mountains, in synagogues. Everywhere that Jesus did, went, he did something miraculous. But once they stepped away from the crowd, they allowed all the lies to creep in. And what we have is a world that lives in two different spheres. Their spiritual life and their everyday life. That's a horrible way to live. Do I get an amen? That's a horrible way to live. That when I go to church or I go to Bible study, I go to small group, that, that everything's great. But the moment I step into my everyday life, I am defeated. I am defeated. And unfortunately, that's what the disciples were doing. Jesus is like, don't you remember? Don't you remember? I just fed 4,000 people and there was leftovers. And here you are on this boat. Why can I not do it again? If you're hungry and we're in the middle of the lake and there's only 13 of us, I promise you I will show up. And you see this rhythm where the disciples would constantly forget the goodness of Jesus, the miraculous of Jesus, that Jesus just wants to show up in the here and now. This morning I woke up and I spent some real time in prayer. And usually I'll be praying like, Lord, let's have a good Sunday morning. Let's have fun with worship. Just do something special for everybody else. Instead, I laid down and I put my hand on my heart. And I said, Jesus, today, I need new wineskin. I need new wine. I need you to do something fresh. Because what you've already done is done. And you have something new and something fresh for me today. And I want this because I look back and I remember all the goodness that you have done in my life. Because I allow myself to allow bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness to creep in and steal the joy of Jesus. If you were to look back on your every single day, and I go past the moment I became a follower of Jesus. I go from the moment that I can remember first. All I see is the hand of God in my life. Even in the dysfunction and the disruptions that I've gone through. And there are many times that like the disciples, I want to say, can you, how am I going to eat? Can you please provide something? But when I turn around and I look, I just see the hand of God touching me and 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 showing up. Because what we do is we live our lives in these two different spheres, our spiritual world and our everyday. And Jesus says, those should be one. Your everyday should be everyday. You should have a, a full life. Even in tragedy, you should find hope. Even when you mourn, you have someone you can lean on. Even when you feel like the mountain is too tall in front of you, know that it's not the mountain where the help comes from, but it's from him where strength you get. And so what we do is we allow the yeast of our world 
to creep in and steal the joy that Jesus has for us. He asks them these three questions. Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Do you have eyes? Can't you see? Have you have ears? Can't you hear? Do you not remember? So these are the questions that I ask myself when I sermon prep. How is my hearing? Let me ask you, how is your hearing? Have you listened to Scripture in such a manner that you allow it to speak the identity of who you are as sons and daughters of God into your life? Do you read Scripture in such a way that you hear the words of Scripture, the Holy Scripture pouring over you through the Holy Spirit that encourages you who you are? as sons and daughters of God? Or do you allow our culture and anger and anxiety to crowd out the voice of God? Are you believing lies that aren't true of you? How is your perception? Are you in tune with God that he is constantly revealing himself, that he's giving you these kairos moments, these divine moments to get your attention? Do you realize that every single one of us, every single day, if we open up our eyes, big things, little things, medium things, that Jesus is calling to us. On Thursday, I was studying, and I just couldn't connect. I was prepping for the future, and I'm just like, God, this ain't working. I just need to pray. And I just went into like a moment of prayer. And I heard some feet walking around the, the house over here. And I went outside and I said, okay, I'm going to go pray with who's ever here. Steve was there. Paul Lee shows up. And we spent about an hour and a half just leaning into the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show up. Holy Spirit, right now, make yourself real and tangible. We were praying for one another. We were praying for you all. We were praying for our world. We were praying for what God wants to do here. And I told these two guys, I said, we're going for a field trip. We jumped in the car and we drove to Allendale. I said, do you know the story of the plant? Do you know how all this began? And they're thinking, yeah, it's kind of like the church right here. I'm like, no, 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 no. 14 years ago, we drove to this little Presbyterian church in Allendale. And we drove by and we said there was 28 of us that met right there. And within four months, we went down to 16. It was a lot of fun. It's a beautiful four months of my life. Wanted to run for the hills. And then we drove by. And then I drove by the street where God called me to stay in New Jersey. There's a really cool offer that, that I was about to be given for Sue and I to go somewhere else, live in a different state, have probably an easier life. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if you leave, you will miss out on what I'm about to do next. And we decided to stay. And then we went to Paulus Press. Remember Paulus Press for any of you? It's, a Jew, it's the Catholic publishing company that we had our offices in. Here you have, I mean, it was like a joke. Here we are, these, these crazy CMAers and the Catholic people hanging out, loving one another, praying for one another. Holy Spirit was falling on that building all the time. We used to pray for four to six hours a day as a staff. And then we went to the middle school. And we drove by and I started getting emotional, probably for the first time ever driving by that middle school since we left. It was so much work. Remembering how God was faithful to the middle school. And then we came back to this building. I said, see God's faithfulness. Imagine what he's going to do in 14 years from now. People of God, if you embrace the work of God in your life and you don't allow the negativities of the Pharisees and of Herod to intrude your heart in 14 years, you are going to see Jesus do this crazy work within you. And then in 28 years, you're going to see even more. And then in 42 years, it's going to be even more. And my math's really bad, so I can't go any further than that. 
But for me, I know that I'm 50. And I know this, that my best is yet to come. My best is yet to come. And if you allow Jesus to overwhelm the shadows that lie to you, your best is yet to come. So think about this. I go to Goldsburg Bagels in, in Allendale. Everyone has our favorite bagel place, right? My new one is Goldsburg. When they're making a bagel, they don't make a single bagel. They don't. They make a batch of dough, and then they cut them up into little bagels. When I go to White Cough Pizza, who I think has the best pizza in the world, they do the same thing. They make a batch of dough, and then they just make circles, and they put it in their pans, and they just kind of let them sit, and they let them rise. We've missed this illustration that it's not one bad bagel. It's one bad batch. We as a church are a batch of people that we have to contend that we will be a community that is focused on Jesus only. We have to not allow the lies of religiosity or the lies of our culture to seep in and steal the work of Jesus from us. There have been multiple times where people will come from other churches and they'll sit down with me and they'll tell me every negative thing about their church experience. And they actually think that telling me that wins me over. Do you know that? When someone comes in and tells me that, it makes me fearful. Because I said, where did you go to church? Well, I was here for three years, and then I went here for four years, then I went here for five years, I went here for six years, and now I'm home. I'm like, time out. Time out. And there have been times where I have said to people, God wants to deal with your pride. God wants to deal with your unforgiveness. God wants to deal with your bitterness. Because if you're not willing to deal with those things, this is not the community for you. And usually they don't come back. Because we're all about the numbers. We're not about health. You see, here's the danger. If we do not speak the truth of Jesus to one another, we all continue to live in a very unhealthy place of dysfunction. Everybody's welcome. But God wants to change all of us. I really mean that. Everybody's welcome. Anyone can come through those doors. Anyone can step foot. But God wants to change every single one of us. Because that's when we take our spiritual life and we bring it to our everyday and that's when Jesus is awesome. It is good to be a follower of Christ. I don't have to live in unforgiveness anymore. I do not have to be a bitter, resentful person. I can actually believe in the supernatural and my only role is wait for God's supernatural to invade my life in God's perfect timing. And if his perfect timing is not now, this is what he's doing. He's shaping me. He's molding me. He's building me up. So when that miracle comes, I know that that miracle only comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the hope. That's the hope. You see, I have faith in Jesus. But my religion is Christianity. And we, as we represent Christianity to the world around us, are we individuals who are filled with bitterness, resentment, anger, and a lack of hope. So let me ask you. There are three things that make up yeast when we look at what Jesus is speaking about. Doubt. 
Do not allow doubt and disbelief to creep in and take root. Don't. If you've been praying for something and it hasn't happened yet, let your faith go deeper. Remember how God has shown up in the past. Because as he's shown up in the past, he will do it again. I promise you, when you take that root of doubt and you rip it out of your soul and you allow the seed of faith to go down deep, God is going to answer you. It's what he is. It's what he does. He is the God of yes and amen. We attack the yeast by remembering and reciting God's faithfulness to push away doubt that creeps in. What about anger? Anger is not a sin. When someone says anger is a sin, it's not a sin. Anger is a reflection of that which has hurt you, that which is breaking you, that which is causing frustration. It only becomes sin when it emotionally takes you over. That's only when it becomes sin. It only becomes sin when it emotionally takes you over. I want to challenge you. Why are you angry? Who are you angry at? What has pushed you in such an unhealthy place that you've pushed other people away from you? And then the last one is pride. Pride keeps God an arm's length away from you. That's what pride does. And I think when we think about pride, oftentimes we, we forget that most people who are wrestling with pride, it's actually a defense mechanism. Do you know that? That oftentimes when someone's wrestling with pride, like, yeah, they may be arrogant. Yes, they may be overly confident. But pride is actually a defense me mechanism that says, I don't trust you. I'm better than you. You can't help me. Are we willing to take our pride, bring it to the feet of Jesus, and put Jesus in the center of everything? You see, Herod wouldn't bow his knee. Are we willing to? Are we willing to bow our knees and say, Jesus, you are at the center of everything. And when you allow Jesus to heal your anger, your pride, and your doubt, slowly you will see life beginning to burst within you. But I'm speaking this to the community. Do not allow yourself to be the yeast that Jesus talks about. Do not be that yeast to someone else. Do not, do not, nor do not allow someone else's yeast to derail you. We need to be a community that is filled with the love of Christ that we learn through the truth of Scripture so we can live out the compassion to that which we've experienced. Coming to church should be joyful. Following Jesus as hard as it is should be filled with life. There is a blessing that Jesus has. Do not be like the disciples and miss it just because it wasn't the perfect time or the perfect place because God wants to show up in your every day, in every moment, all the time. We're going to go to communion right now. And I love taking communion every single week. Because when Jesus said, take communion, he said this, do this every time you gather. Every time you gather. Jesus said, my body is broken for you. It's through his body that all the sins of humanity are taken away. And today, if you've allowed 
pride, doubt, or anger to creep in, I want to challenge you today to bring it to the cross of Jesus. That when you eat this bread, you're saying, Jesus, I am bringing my yeast to you. I will no longer be the angriest person in the room. I will no longer poison other individuals. I will allow myself to be the light of Christ to others around me. Let's eat together. He then took the cup, and Jesus did not have portable communion. I hate opening these things up, don't you? It's always a nightmare. And I love what Jesus said. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant. In other words, you no longer have to figure this out. In other words, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit to live in you, to breathe in you, to push out the yeast that has poisoned you for your whole life. Some of you need to get rid of some of that generational anger. Some of you need to get rid of that generational doubt. Some of you need to get rid of that generational pride. Some of you, when you drink the cup of communion, you need to say, Jesus, all of me for all of you. Because when I drink this juice, you know what I, you know what I remember? Hell lost another one. I'm free. Hell lost another one. I no longer am the man I used to be. Hell lost another one, that there's no way that I'm going to hell, but I'm going to fight my way through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I'm going to stand before my Jesus, and he's going to say, welcome. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.